You can let him listen to what she's got to say. Do you understand me? Do you understand Mr. me? Mr. Doolin, Mr. Doolin. I'm sick of it. We've let my man we've had four years. He can give, him, give her three minutes to say what she needs to say. Welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie and this is A Wicked World. The story I have for you today is about a little girl who was viciously attacked while she was at a football game. And this was a place that she had been before. And there was a ton of people around who she knew, including family and friends. But the perpetrator took the opportunity anyways to brutally attack this poor little girl. This is the story of Gabriella Doolin. Gabriella Kareen Doolin, or Gabby, was born on December 26, 2007, to Brian and Amy Doolin. She had two brothers named Alec and Chance, and the family lived in Adolphus, Kentucky. Gabby was a second-grade student at Allen County Primary Center. She was said to be a sweet and loving child who also loved bright colors, which were said to perfectly suit her personality. Gabby loved cheerleading, balloons, parties, and the color pink. When Gabby's 14-year-old brother Alec got picked to be on the Cowboys football team, Gabby decided to join the cheerleading team to support her brother. On November 14, 2015, the 7-year-old attended the game at the Allen County Scottsville High School along with her cheerleading squad. Gabby's mother and father were also at the game to cheer on their son as he played. Her mother Amy was sitting on the bleachers and her father Brian was helping to work the concession stand. So as Gabby's mom, Amy, was sitting on the bleachers watching the football game, around 6.50 p.m., some of Gabby's friends suddenly ran up to her and asked if she knew where Gabby was. They told her that they had been playing hide-and-seek with Gabby around the bleachers, and she had been tasked at finding them. The little girls had been hiding in the bathroom for quite some time, but Gabby never showed up looking for them. Amy had not seen her daughter since she had gone to play with her friends. So worried, Amy immediately got up and began to look for Gabby. And when she couldn't see her anywhere, the upset mother went over to the concession stand where her husband Brian was stationed. They then used the intercom to announce that Gabby could not be found and urging her to come to the stand. But when the little girl did not turn up, a search team began to look for her at halftime. When this failed to locate Gabby as well, her frantic parents called 911. And when police arrived, they stopped the game and ushered everybody into the school's gymnasium. Then, not even an hour later, at 8.10 p.m., Gabby's partially clothed body was found, only about 400 yards away from where everyone had been watching the football game. Her body had been dumped into a creek, face down, in a wooded area behind the school. And it was only about 25 minutes since she had disappeared. When Gabby was found, her foot was missing a boot, and that would be found later, about 20 yards away from her body. There were blood smears as well as other biological evidence found at the scene, including a blood-smeared leaf that was bagged by police and brought in for DNA testing. With everyone who had been in attendance at the game, now in the high school gym, police asked them to provide any information they might have about the crime. And detectives conducted interviews with almost everybody who had been at the game and asked them if they had seen anything suspicious. Police were given the name Timothy Madden by multiple people. 
Now, Timothy was a 38-year-old married ex-construction worker who had five children of his own, and he had been at the game that night watching his son play football. So shortly after midnight, police accompanied Timothy to his Scottsville home. He was very compliant with officers and agreed to an interview with them, as well as provided them with the clothing he had been wearing that night. The odd thing was that after Timothy had taken off his clothing, he did not put on any more clothing. Rather, he sat down in his underwear to speak with police. Timothy also allowed police to take DNA swabs from him. When Timothy had retrieved his clothes and handed them over to police, one officer remarked that there was blood in the crotch area of his pants, as well as on the zipper and his underwear. This accusation agitated Timothy, and he told police officers that they were crazy, and he didn't know what it was on his pants, but it was not blood. Timothy maintained that he had absolutely nothing to do with Gabby's murder. In the days that followed the little girl's murder, the community waited for an arrest to be made. The sheriff also increased security at schools until a suspect had been put into custody, and pink ribbons were put up all around the town in memory of Gabby. On November 20th, five days after police had originally taken Timothy's clothing, the DNA test results came back. It revealed that blood belonging to Gabby had been found on Timothy's clothing. There was also DNA found on and inside Gabby's body that matched Timothy's. Gabby's autopsy report listed strangulation by unspecified means and drowning as her causes of death. It also noted injuries that indicated Gabby had been raped and sodomized. Timothy was taken into custody and he was charged with murder, kidnapping, first-degree rape, and first-degree sodomy. When police had first knocked at his door, he actually told them that they were in the wrong place. He was booked into the Barron County Detention Center in Glasgow and held on a $1 million bail. Up until Gabby's murder, Timothy Madden had a relatively clean criminal history, with only a few misdemeanor, nonviolent crimes on his record. So he was probably just really good at hiding his crimes, is my guess. You don't usually just go from not committing crimes to that. Timothy would also speak with reporters to further proclaim his innocence. He told them that he had seen Gabby the night of the football game. She had been playing with a couple of other girls who had run by him while he was smoking his cigarette near the bleachers. This was about 30 minutes before she disappeared. He said he knew nothing else. Now, while Timothy and his family believed that he was definitely innocent, in a telephone survey done, 75% of Allen County residents believed that he had committed these horrible crimes against Gabby. This belief prompted a judge, who said that this crime was the most horrendous he'd ever seen in Allen County, to move Timothy's trial to another county. And while the prosecutors were arguing for a neighboring county, Timothy's defense attorney wanted the trial held even further away for a more unbiased jury. Now, Brian and Amy Doolin, Gabby's parents, actually knew the man who had done this to their daughter. In fact, Brian had graduated high school with him only a year apart, and the two had been acquaintances. In addition, Timothy had a daughter who cheered on the same team as Gabby, so Gabby would have trusted him. She was around him during practices and all the games. That night, he had also been sitting on the bleachers close to Amy Doolin, so he was likely waiting for the perfect time when Amy wasn't paying attention to grab Gabby. Brian Doolin remembered that the night they were searching for his daughter, he had actually seen Timothy walking up the fence at the ballpark next to the high school. 
It was dark out, so Brian was not able to tell who it was, so he yelled out to the man. Timothy yelled back that he was helping to look for Gabby. And at the time, Brian was so frazzled, he just assumed that that was another person who he had asked to help find his daughter. But it wasn't. It was Timothy returning from dumping Gabby's body, most likely. After Timothy's arrest, his 20-year-old son, Bradley Madden, was arrested as well for 16 counts of intimidating a participant in the legal process and 16 counts of third-degree terroristic threats. Apparently, Bradley had sent messages to some of the witnesses saying that police had the wrong man and if his father does life, they will do life, watching their backs. And in another message that Bradley sent just minutes after that first one, claimed the arrest was a setup from hell and included threats to sue for slander. In a rage, he had also sent the police department a Facebook message saying, I am coming for you. Probably not your best idea. As a side note, unrelated to Gabby's murder investigation, Bradley would actually be arrested again in 2016 for four counts of statutory rape. So Timothy's trial was scheduled for February of 2018, but it kept getting pushed back for one reason or another. A few months before Timothy was finally going to face a jury and possibly the death sentence, his attorney came out and said that the case was not as open and shut as it looked. Defense attorney Travis Locke claimed that police had been desperate to solve the horrific, high-profile case as soon as possible. So they had focused on his client, who had no history of violence or sexual misconduct. This, he said, had excluded more likely suspects. Timothy's defense attorney also tried to claim that there was no evidence that Timothy's clothing had any blood on it from that night. In addition, he said that the clothing Timothy had worn the night of the football game did not appear at all dirty or damp. Even though Gabby's body had been found in a creek in a wooded area that was full of damp leaves and dirt. Timothy's defense attorney also said that no witnesses said that they had seen Timothy with Gabby that night. And some had identified a different man altogether. One with a long beard and a brown coat. Some witnesses had said this man looked suspicious and out of place. And Timothy also claimed that some of the children that had been with Gabby that night had also seen the man and told police about it. And one little girl had told police that she had seen Gabby wearing pink being carried off by that other suspicious man. And some of the witnesses who had been shown a photo of Timothy Madden did not identify him as the person that they had seen. Another thing his defense attorney was saying, and this is probably just Timothy's way of covering up his crimes in my opinion, But during the time that Gabby was missing, he had apparently sent numerous text messages with pictures of the game to his wife. And Timothy had also made a phone call during that time. But what about all that damning DNA evidence? Well, his attorney said the police had claimed they would have a two-page DNA report back in about a week. They said this would definitely incriminate Timothy, but his defense attorney had not yet seen it. And he said this analysis could now take another several months. Timothy's attorney claimed that he had made numerous requests for the DNA reports over the past year, but he had been continually ignored. And the defense wanted this report so that they could see how strong the DNA evidence actually was, as well as how it had been handled in the lab. During the course of the investigation, in addition to the DNA samples that had been collected from Timothy, police had also collected samples from his son, Bradley Madden, and from another man who had helped the Doolin family search for Gabby. 
This man had recently been arrested on a sexual abuse charge, which is why they ran his DNA. But Bradley Madden and the other man were eliminated as possible contributors to the DNA that matched the sample collected from Timothy Madden. Timothy Madden's trial was set for September 4, 2019 in Hardin County. But shortly before, he unexpectedly changed his not guilty plea to guilty so that he could avoid getting the death penalty. So the case had taken so long to go to trial because in 2019, a new prosecutor had taken over. And partway through the process, Timothy had also gotten a new public defender. A judge had also granted Timothy's lawyer's request for a DNA retest, which had taken quite some time to finish. So Timothy pled guilty to murder and kidnapping, and he would take an Alfred plea on his other charges of first-degree rape and sodomy. And an Alfred plea is when you're pleading guilty, but you're not actually admitting that you did it. Do you then admit that you committed the offense of kidnapping of Gabriella Dillon? Guilty. Do you admit that the Commonwealth can meet its burden of proof that you committed the offense of rape first degree as well as sodomy first degree of Gabriella Doolin? Guilty. And finally, do you admit that you committed the offense of murder of Gabriella Doolin? Yes. How do you plead? Guilty. This plea deal, of course, came with the approval of Gabby's family. They decided that Timothy pleading guilty, instead of being given the death sentence, was better than the lengthy trial process they might face, as well as the prospect of a long appeals process had he been put on death row. Even though Timothy Madden would not stand trial, prosecutors were allowed a full day to present the evidence that they had against him, though the details of the evidence that were presented in court that day were never made publicly available. So on October 23rd, the judge agreed with what the plea deal recommended, which was life in jail with no possibility of parole. And Gabby's mother would give a victim impact statement during this hearing, saying, Because of you, we lost our baby girl before she was even eight years old. <laughs> and at one point, Amy Doolin asked Timothy in her impact statement, why did you do it? There's no reason you can give. Gabby was an innocent little girl at her brother's football game. But as she spoke, Timothy Madden decided to turn his attention to his attorney instead. Gabby's father, Brian, aggravated by this, spoke up to the attorney and Timothy, and he said, Sir, that's the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. Give us just a minute. We've had four years waiting. This is all we've asked. We haven't asked. Not enough respect. And you're an attorney. For you're right. right. You're right. And after the short recess, Gabby's mother was able to finish reading her victim impact statement. And a family member of Timothy Madden made a statement on his behalf during this hearing. He said, Timothy was a loving person who was always there for his family. Yeah, cool. Gabby's funeral was held on November 19th, 2015 at Scottsville Baptist Church, and she was then buried in Allen County Memorial Gardens. Members of the Scottsville community lined the streets holding pink and blue balloons to release as a hearse drove by carrying the little girl. Teammates and coaches at Allen County come. The team that we were playing the night that we lost my sister, they came and it meant a lot. When we left, following the hearse that day. We were in amazement. 
was a parade. I've never seen anything like it, you know, for a funeral. The businesses had closed down. The people was out with balloons. There's Gabby t-shirts everywhere. That was all the way from the church to the graveyard. Her death affected so many in South Central Kentucky and nationally, and nearly 1,000 people contributed more than $40,000 to a GoFundMe account to help Gabby's family. And on the night of November 14, 2016, a year after Gabby Doolin had been so brutally assaulted and murdered, more than 500 people in her community gathered for a vigil, alongside Gabby's parents, Brian and Amy, to honor and remember their little girl. Brian Doolin spoke and he said, I ain't no speaker, but I have love in my heart. I've never endured anything like this. All I want to do is hold my baby. Hold your babies tight. I'd love to hold Gabby just one more time. Just hold her tight. The vigil that night included a pink balloon release, a moment of silence, and numerous speakers. And many of them stressed that the entire community would be standing behind the Doolin family. In November of 2020, Operation Gabby Doolin was put into place. This joint federal, state, and local operation was aimed at exposing child predators in the Kentucky community. There were investigations conducted in Elizabethtown and Louisville, which ended up resulting in multiple state and federal arrests. Gabby will not be forgotten. If you look behind me and you see the Kentucky State Police and you see our U.S. Attorney's Office and you see ATF and you see the Marshal Service and LMPD and E-Town Police Department, that's because we know how incredibly important it is uh, to protect our children. I'm here this morning to announce the culmination of Operation Gabby Doolin. Seven individuals, predators, are no longer on the streets of our Commonwealth, taken off the streets in her name. Uh, we're going to continue to work hard. Uh, the seven individuals uh, that have been charged and are in the process of being prosecuted that, again, is a commitment, a redoubling of the effort to make sure that her name lives on and do everything we can, state and federal law enforcement community, uh, to protect our most vulnerable. Well, thank you for listening to all of Gabby's story today. This crime is horrifying in so many ways. One of those being just how quickly it happened. She had only been missing for 25 minutes. It's very scary. So if you do like true crime and you want to hear from me, then don't forget to hit that subscribe button below and turn on those notifications too so you'll know when I upload a new video, which is two to three times every week. Thanks for watching on Wicked World today. Until next time, take care guys. Bye. Thank you for being patrons of A Wicked World. Adina, Alana, Allie, Amanda, Amberly, Amy, Angela, Angie, Brandy, Brother Mike, Carrie, Catherine, Cecilia, Celia Cruz, Claire, Danielle, Danny J, Drew, Eric, Frank, Georgia, Haley, Hanorama, Hannah, Jackie, Jen, Jennifer, Josie, Kara, Christy, Kristen, Lori, Marion, Mary, Mel, Mimi, MJ Kelly, Neoma, Nikki, Owen, Ray, Robin, Sharon, Starlet Sky, Stephanie O, Stephanie T, Susan, Suzanne, Tamara, Tammy B, Tammy S, Tracy UK, and Whisper216. You guys rock. Now, there's even more of a wicked world on Patreon. So check it out at patreon.com slash a wicked world or use the Patreon app. 
You'll have access to exclusive videos each month and more. Any support truly helps to make sure the victims never get forgotten and to highlight the shortcomings of society associated with each case. Do you have a suggestion for a case you'd like to see me cover? If so, send me an email at awickedworldtruecrime at gmail.com.